Acts 4, verses 32 through 37. Luke is the only one to write two books about the life of Jesus. The Gospel of Luke and then the Book of Acts. Too bad that they stuck the Gospel of John in between because he wants you to know the same ministry of Jesus is going on right now but through his people. And it goes on in this way. If you're visiting, when I get done reading, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord, and you'll say, thanks be to God, a word that we can trust. So let's read aloud verses 32 through 37. As you read, you listen with your heart. You're reading God's word. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possessions, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as owned lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold. They laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. There was a Levite, a native of Cyprus, Joseph, to whom the apostles gave the name Barnabas, which means son of encouragement. He sold a field that belonged to him, then brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but the word you just read never will. We just thought we would show that to you. Kinesis is a scientific word meaning what happens to an organism when light hits it and it moves. We're going to be studying the book of Romans together. And we're going to be taking a look at how God's word, first of all, how the light illuminates. Everybody knows something about the Lord. But what about those that have born little Muslim children in Iran or Iraq that have never heard of Jesus? What about those little Hindu children that have never heard the name of Christ? Well, Paul addresses that in Romans. And then permeate it changes us. How come I can't quit doing bad things? And how come I can't start doing good things? He talks about that. And finally, radiate. God wants to take this light through us. God is still governing this world. And how are we called to come alongside and share him with that? So we're going to be going through the book of Romans starting uh, in two weeks. It would be helpful if you memorized the book of Romans in the next two weeks. That would be great. But if not, uh, you're going to have a great time going through it. By the way, the uh, population that was born in another country that lives here illegally is 12%. 35 million Americans of the 300 million uh, were born in another country. You know, as we take a look, do you know that over 80% of the money that goes to missions around the world comes from your country? The United States literally bankrolls missions around the world for the sake of Jesus Christ. So we live in this incredibly wonderful schizophrenic culture. Some of the worst things that come out of it, and some of the great things. The question is, how can we be used to help transform it? Well, when Thomas Jefferson and Benjamin Franklin, in one of their discussions before the Continental Congress, the founding fathers knew there had been other democracies, but they knew they didn't last. The city-states in Athens went a while. There was for a while the Republic of Rome, but it came Imperial Rome in a heartbeat. Because they had a great experiment, as George Washington said. They feared two things. If you and I were here, we're going to drop out of the United States and move over and take over Catalina and make our own country. They would say how we'd make decisions, they feared two things. One, the tyrant, the king, but they feared the mob more. 
that it would just tear itself apart, particularly as they were watching what was getting ready to take place over in France. And so they said to have freedom, you needed to have what they called manners, we call values. Only people that respect life should be given freedom. And how do you get that value of love and helping each other? From religion. We call it spirituality. But you can't have real spirituality, they said, without freedom. No city, state, no nation should be underwriting someone's spiritual beliefs that should be free. I think they would be blown away at how successful this is in the last 230 years, what God has done. And we inherit that and to pass it along. But, you know, things were so much different then. My goodness. You know, the average person read in their entire life, if unless they were in an educated field, the equivalent of one Sunday edition of the New York Times. That's how much information they had coming into their minds. Think of all the things coming to you. And their life was a little bit slower. America has invented more time-saving devices than any culture in history. Don't you feel like you just have tons of time on your hand? My gosh! Someone told me there's some ways to know you're too busy. If your life seems out of control, first of all, if you eat breakfast in the shower, your life is too busy. <laughs> they said if you pay someone to catch up on your reading, your life is too busy. If you lose patience with instant messaging, have you noticed people doing that? You hire a personal shopper to spend your gift cards, your life is way too busy. You try to buy your gasoline online, you're too fast. And you really know that your life is too busy when you're still looking for a drive-through doctor. <laughs> when we come and take a look at this craziness of life, and we pause and we focus, we ask ourselves the question this morning. If our mission is to help transform this city into the greatest city for Christ in America, that's why when Kenny comes here next Sunday night, hey, if you love gospel, you have got to come here. And I would recommend coming early because his choir is 5,000 people. But anyway, the, they'll be gathered here and sharing together. We need to work with all churches and ministries together. We also need to be taking a look at what does it mean to transform our life here, to complete this site, to finish as we saw what Ezra said, and to advance the kingdom to move ahead. And this morning, if... You need to know that we look at a marvelous case study of three different people in the life of the early church. And we find the power of life or of God to transform to the good, and some transformation is to the bad. Nothing stays the same. The power of God to transform from the good to the better, the great, in a case study of this guy named Barnabas. He's so caught on to this love of Christ, his life becomes this reckless abandon and giving away. And the more he gives, the more God uses him. And then we see the transformation of the bad to the worse in a couple by the name of Ananias and Sapphira. And these two are tucked together as a case study as the Spirit of God through Luke shows that we can be changed. And this message is simple. The more you share everything in life, the more you enjoy life. It is life-giving. The more you hoard and look out just for yourself, whether it is time or money or attention, the more it sucks the life right out of you. And you cannot outgive God. Now, I love to preach about Ananias and Sapphira on a pledge drive. That's one of my favorite couples. 
But I want us to get beyond the money thing and to look underneath what God is saying. If you got your Bible, turn with me over to this great story in Acts, the fourth chapter. And to realize that you have to ask, why did Luke write this two-volume set? And the reason is because he is showing that the mission of the early church, first of all, is the same Jesus who walked those dusty trails and healed people and did the miracles and raised the dead. He went to the cross, took the hit you and I deserve with his blood paid for our sin. God the Father raised him. He exploded out. Now, no longer not just the Jewish Messiah, but to all the nations and has ascended next to the Father the beginning of the book of Acts. And he's coming back physically in the same way. The mission of the church, Luke, the only Gentile, a Greek doctor to write any of Scripture, is saying, really, is Judaism in its fulfillment. It's not a break from Judaism. It's the fulfillment of it. And it's also these pig-eating Gentiles, you and me, are now grafted into what God is doing. And also, it is this, the mission is going to have fierce resistance. If anybody told you that when you give your life to Christ, you weren't going to have any more problems, they'll lie to you about something else. Jesus said, you let me into the boat, it's going to rock. If you follow me, there will be persecution, not just opposition. Persecution, and we don't hear that word a lot. And he said, if you follow me, you need to count the cost. But when you count the cost, what is on the other side? And this thing is unstoppable. It is the march of God. And we find tucked here, if you look in Acts at the beginning, after Pentecost, that there is all of a sudden this, they are, King Herod, one of the sons of Herod the Great, arrests James, has him cut off his head, he kills him. He arrests Peter and he's going to do the same thing. But remember, the angel miraculously let him out of prison. After this little event, they grab the apostles and they just beat the tar out of them. They beat him with rods and say, quit preaching about Jesus. They're going to kill Stephen. And by the way, the first martyr for the church was a busboy by the name of Stephen who was waiting tables. And, and tucked in the middle of this huge persecution is this story. And you and I need to know if we think we're going to stroll into Los Angeles and make it the greatest city for Christ and start working with other churches that I've never worked with any before, and that this is going to be easy, if you think that, you're smoking dope. That's what I want to tell you. Because it is not going to be easy. In fact, Christ says, but it's going to be so worth it. And we get mad at God. <laughs> I just read, a gentleman by the name of Pavel M. over in Romania is suing God for his troubled life. It's true. He has brought a legal action against, quote, God, resident in heaven, represented by the Romanian Orthodox Church, for committing the following crimes against me. And he lists how bad his life has been. And he murdered somebody, but he said, it's God's fault. And the court, quote, rejected his appeal because God was not appropriately able to be subpoenaed, unquote. <laughs> What's he suing God about? Because someone told him, if you come to Jesus, all your problems will be over. He goes, oh yeah? Well, I'm going to sue God. But you know what's funny? At least he believes that God is responsible. Do you remember that Baptist church down outside of Eden, Oklahoma? You know, every county, a lot of them are dry. A liquor store moved in. They allowed it. 
The Baptist church down the road started praying against the liquor store. True story. This is 1973. Lightning hit the liquor store and it burned down. The owner of the liquor store sued the Baptist church. And when they got to court, the, the church said it wasn't our fault. And the liquor store owner said, you were praying against me. The judge threw it out. But then he said, quote, one thing is obvious. The owner of the liquor store believes in prayer more than the Baptist church. <laughs> and he did. Well, this early church, and they come together, they believe there's this incredible power. Why? Because they're watching it in their midst. And this guy by the name of Barnabas, son of encouragement, what was his gift? He encouraged people. That was it. Have you noticed the people you hang around, the incredible influence they have on you? How you dress, how what you laugh at, even voice intonation? I love to watch my children as they're growing up. When they hung around different groups of kids, they'd have totally different languages, totally different looks. The values, the direction. And that's why it's so important for us Bel Airs that we create a culture here of encouragement, of love in the Lord Jesus, of boldly standing for Him, and not, not being afraid and flipping out, not saying it's all going to be easy and you're all going to be millionaires and never have any physical problems. You pray for prosperity, of course, but it's going to be a buckle up that seatbelt. It's going to be a wild ride. And the ability to encourage. Have you ever had someone just come up and say something kind to you for no reason or what it meant to you? I remember both times that happened. It was just remarkable that you know, a lot of you do that. Or, or a, a kind email or just a note. Have you ever had someone just give you like a gift certificate from Coffee Bean or Starbucks just to, because of wanting to say, I believe in what God is doing in you. When someone's going through down times, do not discount the pain they're going through. Have you ever had some of you go and you're sharing you had a rotten day and they go, oh yeah, well I know someone's had a worse day. Don't you want to just kind of take their lip and pull it over their head, you know, when they say that? No, don't discount their pain, but do you ever just stop and listen and say, you know, but I believe in the Lord in you? That is really tough, but I believe in you. One of the greatest encouragement creates encouragement. Barnabas found out about Jesus and they loved him. So you know what he does? He liquidates his land. Now he's from Cyprus. We don't know if the land was over in Cyprus or in Jerusalem. He's a fairly wealthy landowner. And he gives it to the church. Were these people spiritually and financially irresponsible? No. What happened? Well, they knew this stuff. Physical, it's good. You know, food is good. Clothes good. But, you know, it's passing away. We're eternal. And the eternal always trumps the perishing. And so they said, whatever. Do you have need? Well, let's just share it together. The weird thing, the more they share the more God blesses and gives to them, and the more they actually enjoy what they have. One of the greatest gifts that I've ever received in a building campaign in another church I was at came about from the testimony of a single mom. We were in the steering committee. If you've ever been involved in a campaign, like a campaign for Bel Air, the original steering committee gets together and you try to figure out responsibly what can you raise and a lot of time that's based on your steering committee. You don't just have the wealthy people come. You have the people that really believe in the church because you get a good cross-section. I remember this uh, gentleman sitting next to me. He, I knew he had some money. I didn't know how much money he had. And this single mom who was a teacher, she had four kids. 
She said, I don't have a lot of money to give. She says, I so believe in what Christ is doing in my church. You know what I'm going to do? Her little moment of pleasure every day was she saved up enough money that she would go to like Quiznos and get the large sandwich and the salad and sit there with a Diet Coke. And that was her oasis. She said, I'm going to, for the next three years, rather than spending that six or seven dollars or whatever it was then, I'm going to pack my own lunch and I want to give that to this campaign. This guy next to me heard this. And he didn't say anything. And on the way out, he would become someone who gave the church $5 million for this campaign. And why? Because of this woman's testimony. So motivated him. And so I said to her, is there any other little things you could do and share uh, with people? No, I didn't say that. I didn't. I said because of her testimony, I did that. When you see, you know what Paul said to the Philippians? Because of my chains. The brothers and sisters are able to speak more boldly the word of God without fear. But they saw Paul beat and hammered and put chains and taken to jail. And he just says, rejoice in the Lord. And they said, you know, I could do that. And when you and I come together and we love people of all faiths, we don't agree with their spiritual reasoning, but we love the unworthy as well as the worthy, the righteous and the evil. Those that are the complete slime balls out there, we want to come alongside, not enable sin and crime, but to love and to help and to reach out. And when you do that, other people will watch you. And they are watching. They sure are. And they'll go, you know, I could do that. And that's this ability to transform the good into even the better, into the great. Barnabas will become, as you know, one of the great missionaries, one of the pillars of the early church. Barnabas is the only one that will take a risk on this murderer by the name of Saul of Tarsus. Remember, none of the other apostles, and he'll introduce him, and he'll take a risk on him. He will travel with Paul on his first journey. God wants to do some, wow, I know, and I'm not just pumping sunshine at you this morning. God wants to do some incredible things with the talent and the hearts that are in this room, but you've got to be able to move out. Someone told me they had a little goldfish for their kid in a little, you know, fishbowl. They had to change the water every day and always just swam in a little circle. And so the kid said, that's cruel, Daddy. So he went out, you know, I think when the mother was gone and bought some huge tank and filled it up. And so finally they took their little goldfish and they poured it into the tank. He says, you know what that silly fish did? It just stayed in one corner swimming in a circle. Because it had so adapted and engineered its head, that's all my little world is. And God's wants to take some of us and get us out of our little self-contained worlds. And he's put us in this remarkable experience and this ability to do great things for him. And we're just going around in our little circles. And Barnabas comes and he shakes the church and he lays down his money and they go, that's cool. That's just great. Somebody else's heart, though, is turning the other way. Look at chapter 5, verse 1. So you see this case study that Luke tells us about this guy named Barnabas. And now we see a case study of bad going worse. But a man named Ananias, with the consent of his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property with his wife's knowledge. He kept back some of the proceeds and brought only a part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Pause. That word kept back is used also of Achan in Joshua 7. Do you remember when they were going into the promised land and he took some of the booty that belonged to the Lord and he held it back and it brought a plague upon? 
The problem isn't that he wants money. The problem is he thinks he can play God like the chump. Like God can be treated like the fool. Verse 4, or uh, verse uh, 3. Ananias, Peter asked, Why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it sold, were not the proceeds at your disposal? How is it that you've contrived this deed in your heart? You did not lie to us, but you lied to God. And when Ananias heard these words, he fell down and died. And great fear seized all who heard it. The young men came and wrapped up his body and carried him out and buried him. So Ananias comes and he lays down all the money and he says, here's everything I own. Because he watched Barnabas do that. And Peter said, is this everything that you have? And he goes, every nickel I own. Looking for the praise of everybody. And Peter says, Ananias, it was yours. You think you can treat God like this? And when he heard that, he fell over dead. Now notice what the community does. They give him a proper burial. They wrap him. They're tragic. They weep, but they still love Ananias. And the young men come and take him out and they bury him. They don't throw him over the side of the hill like, what a loser. But the point being, Ananias was already dead. What do you mean? The moment you think you can use God and trick him, you're, get, you're as good as gone. Because there will come a day when all those who stand and shake their fists in God's face and say, you never treated me right, I want nothing to do with you, and God with a tear in his heart will say, so be it for all eternity. So God just put the scene on fast forward, and Ananias falls over. Verse 7, his wife comes in. After an interview of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what happened. Peter said to her, Tell me whether you and your husband sold the land for such and such price. And she said, Yeah, that was the price. And Peter said to her, How is it that you've agreed together to put the Spirit of the Lord to the test? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and died. When the young men came in, they found her dead, so they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. And great fear seized the whole church and all who heard of these things. So she comes in and Peter says, is this what happened? She goes, absolutely. And Because he was hoping, saying, no, no. And she falls over dead. And the youth group comes and buries, Ham comes in and she's dead. She wrap, they wrap her. Don't you think they probably went, before we leave, uh, Peter, is there any other people that are going to hit right now, you know? And they took her out and buried her. It says, great, and that word fear is that sense of, Holy awe. The people didn't start giving to God because God would kill them if they didn't give money. But they started realizing this is a real ball game and God can be trusted. And you know, I see pastors trying to manipulate their congregations into giving money all the time. And that's not what God wants. I was back in Detroit. I remember a great story. Henry Ford one time, a local hospital... They asked for a contribution, and he pledged $5,000. And the Detroit Free Press printed, Henry Ford pledges $50,000. They got a zero off. And Ford got online, and he called up this person and said, I said $5,000, not $50,000. And the guy said, so you're not going to give it? And he goes, no. He goes, that's okay. Tomorrow I'll run a paper that says, Henry Ford takes back $45,000. 
So Ford went ahead and gave him the 50000 but you know what he put up on the hospital wing as you walk in? A scripture verse he thought applied to them. It said, I came amongst you and you took me in. <laughs> I know so many churches that try to, you know, get people up here and like, but can you see what God's going to do? Fulfillment without consummation? You can already begin. When Jesus Christ came to this planet, you know why your Jewish friends don't believe in Jesus? When the Messiah comes, the kingdom comes. They look out to the valley and they say, can you show me the kingdom of God? And they really don't even look at the west side. <laughs> and they say, well, what gives? And the answer is yes. Christ said, I came and fulfilled it. But individually now, a splinter of the future has invaded the present and the first coming of Christ. Someday there will be no more crying and tears and sorrow and death anymore when he comes back. But right now, do you realize, I mean, put your arms around, you will never be more loved a thousand, thousand eons from now when you've been in perfect body, sinless, than you are right now. You will never be any more adopted as a daughter or a son of God. The righteousness of Christ will not be imputed to you any greater, downloaded to your account, than right now if you are in Christ. The kingdom has already come. And that's why they had this freedom and this ability. But when they try to hold on, and it so transforms you to the dark side. And that's where you need to learn from history. I love Ralph Walt, uh, Emerson uh, speaking of the people in the past were wiser than us. He said, quote, the ancients stole all my best ideas, unquote. <laughs> that is, they look back. But Augustine, Augustine one time was talking about, was it right to drink or not? I guess it was a Baptist-Presbyterian debate, but as they pointed out, one person was really disciplined because he didn't drink any alcohol, and Augustine knew this guy's heart, and he said, quote, the apparent piety of one man is simply the lust for gold overwhelming the lust for drink, unquote. He said the guy doesn't drink because he's too cheap, not because he's disciplined. And you know, a lot of times, our lust for fame and for control and lust that what makes us look like good Christian boys and girls on the inside. But the Spirit of God so knows us and wants to set us free. And this ability, the more you give, the more you get. The more you hold on, Jesus said, the more you lose. There's an Indian tribe in South Mexico, the Mazatec. And a missionary was sharing that when you first meet them, they're an incredibly rude tribe. They will not say anything nice to each other. They will never say, bless you. If you ask them, how'd you learn to bake that bread? They'll say, I just know. And the reason why, they believe that love and goodness and knowledge are finite. And if you give some of it away, then you've lost it forever. And so if they give any of their love to you, that means they'll be cut out of it. Is that a picture of the American culture or what? Thinking that somehow that if I bless you, that I won't have as much. Our whole media is driven by this insanity that somehow if I tear your house down, it somehow builds mine higher. And Christ says, not so, you've got that backwards. You've got to hook yourself up to the right source. And the crime becomes the punishment. The more we fall away from the Lord, the more God lets us. He calls us and woos us, and the further we get, we become little dwarves of the creatures he ever intended. As they say, heaven is where we will say to God, thy will be done. And the joy that is waiting in hell is where God will say to the creature, 
thy will be done. And what they find is they collapse in on themselves forever. And we can start experiencing this right now, and you want to be hooked up to the right things. Uh, one of our uh, candidates for the, you know, you have to go through a chaplaincy before you ordain as a Presbyterian minister, and he was laughing because he was trying to make a little small talk. He got onto the elevator, and a technician pushed on this machine that had all this chrome and all these hoses and all these tubes, and he said, wow, I'd hate to be hooked up to that thing. And the guy said, so would I. It's a cleaning machine. <laughs> he thought it was like something to take the body, but just a clean carpet. You can't believe how many of us hook into the world thinking that they're going to come and take care of our life and we hook up into something that is not what God intended at all. Now, the bottom line is that money has value. You know, this uh, $20 bill has value. It's called instrumental value. There's no value in itself. It's how you use it. It can be used for good and bless people in incredible ways and help your faith grow. Or it can be used for evil. This has instrumental value. The people you are sitting by have intrinsic value. That woman or that man literally has intrinsic value because they are in the image of God. No matter how many times they've failed, no matter how mean as nails they might be, just they might have a face that looks like they're just passing, you know, a kidney stone. But in the eyes of the Lord, they are precious, and he's trying to redeem them. The thing about money, you know, even if I wrinkle it up and throw it down, that thing still has value. And I'm going to pick it up later, by the way. <laughs> because you can just open it up. When you get crinkled and life crushes you in this toxin called sin, you just are ashamed of the things you've done, and you are crinkled up like this through the pressures of life. God says, you are even all the more precious to me because I can transform you. There's some of you right now, God is wanting you to move up to the next level as Barnabas. He really wants you to start trusting. If you're a member of this church, I will never tell you where to give your money. I will tell you I want some of that money coming here because I want your heart involved. And if you haven't signed up yet and helped out with our campaign for Bel Air, this is our last year. We want to get these great facilities up and to celebrate and to advance this mission. You can do that. Or wherever the Lord leads you. For some of you right now, this stuff is tugging at your heart and is just like a gravity beam sucking you towards a black hole. And you're barely hanging on the event horizon trying to hold in there. Well, there's a greater power and it's called the light of Jesus Christ that says, I want to trust you, Lord. Taking time to bless others, not use them. Taking time to be a witness for justice and mercy and letting God's ways pour through us. And I really pray that we're becoming a culture here that I don't care who walks in through those doors or when they sit in one of our small groups in one of our homes or in our office or at school, that you are so filled with the aroma of Christ that they smell hope and forgiveness. I told you I've got an older lady... Uh, Sends the uh, first service. She's a great lady, and I think she just bathes in Chanel number no. five. She's the sweetest thing, and when she hugs you, you smell like her for the rest of the week. Okay. But that's what Christ said. And are you so filled with Christ that when people hug you, they go, You smell like you got peace, like you got more than happiness, there's actually a joy. 
Like you got faith and you're not flipping out like the rest of the world. Like you've got a reason that you're on this planet and you get a chance to share with them. Jesus said, whoever tries to hold on to his life will lose it. But whoever gives away his life will gain it. Let's decide. Let's pray, shall we? Father, that we can call you that is because of your love for us, Lord. And that you stepped out of the perfect praise of heaven and your son, Jesus Christ, in coming to this planet. Paying for the sin that we have done and raising him up. And calling us to be his. And this morning, before we conclude, if there may be some of you, you know the story, but you've never given your heart to the Savior. Jesus said, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears and opens the door, I will come and enter with them and they with me. You don't need to do a hundred push-ups or memorize the book of Romans. You just simply need to say, Christ, I believe when you hung on that cross that my face was on your heart. I believe that your blood paid for everything I will ever do and that you're alive, Lord, and coming back. Lord, I want to change direction. I want to let go of my life, invite you. I take everything I know of me and I give it to all I know of you. Lord, you come in my heart and you do that and right now you begin a relationship with him forever. I thank you, Christ, for this ability to be able to trust you. Lord, may we be a transformed community, transforming lives. And may we know the thrill that you are coming back, King of King and Lord of Lords. Thank you, Christ. As we come before you now with our tithes and our offerings, we thank you for this ability to trust you. Bless the gift and the giver alike that we may know what freedom is about. On this weekend in particular, for your sake we pray. Amen.